Hey folks, welcome to JCV Art Studio. My name is Joanna and uh, it's a better day. It's actually, okay, our, our guest may, may laugh when he hears this. It's 29 degrees Celsius. It was 30 degrees Celsius. Um, people who love the heat are loving it. Other people are just like, where's the air conditioning? Where are the fans? Um, but it's a great day. It's sunny out and it's warm and, uh, I'm glad everyone could join me. So if you're new to the podcast, my name is Joanna. I am the author of the unraveling and dealer's child. And today our guest, our author, our artist is coming to us all the way from Wanganui, New Zealand. Yeah, this is so cool. So I have I'm ha- I have the pleasure of interviewing. Like I said, he's a fantasy author and fantasy landscaped artist, Stephen Raymakers. Now, Stephen, he has a love for fantasy art and stories. He has painted concept art for the last eight years. Many of those inc- are commissions. His fantasy novels are available through Amazon. And today we are going to talk about his art and his series. Uh, It's called the Aria or maybe the Aria of Steel book series. I am reading A Canticle of Two Souls, which is book one. And I I got the wrong book. (laughs) It's A Canticle (laughs) of War, which is book three was just published April 4th, 2022. Now, Stephen is also enrolled as a barrister and solicitor of the High Court of New Zealand in Wanganui. Stephen, welcome. Good evening, Joanna. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for having me here today. Good, and it's 6 a.m. where you're at, hey? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Stephen, when I was doing my research and I saw that you're enrolled as a barrister and solicitor of the High Court of New Zealand, mm-hmm. I was I was then checking, you know, um, what the High Court of New Zealand, what it what it like prosecuted the cases. Um, the reason being is I worked for 13 years in the prosecutor's office. Crown Council office in my country, in Canada, in Nanaimo. I was the Supreme Court assistant and the files that came across my desk, they were the worst, okay? Um, Murder, assault, assault causing bodily harm, sexual assault, kidnapping. Um, And then if any of those convictions were appealed, they were forwarded to the Court of Appeal in my province. And oddly enough, that assistant and I got along great. And we were we we're both authors. Okay. So, anyways, I have to ask the High Court of New Zealand. Now, it said general jurisdiction means there are no limits on the cases the High Court can hear in terms mm-hmm. of criminal offenses and or the amount of money being claimed in a civil case. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Like, I'm, 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 believe it, I'm, I'm curious. 
<laughs> sure. So that's a good question, Joanna. Okay. Um, every court in New Zealand has limits set on it, be they in terms of financial claims or other aspects of the case, or simply whether they can hear appeals. Now, the High Court of New Zealand has no such limits, so that's what that means. Okay. Okay. Because um, with my listeners, I know there are lawyers and legal assistants, and I thought I just have to ask this. So thank you for that. All right. Of course. So on your books and your art, first, can you let's just get this standard question out of the way. Can you give our listeners an idea of what the Aria of Steel book series is about? And even though, like, there's a landscape to this, to the, definitely to these novels and the times. Can you, can you tell us about it? Of course. So the Aria of Steel is, on the surface, a story about a world spiralling into chaos. It's about the fall of an empire and the ensuing violence, which sets the backdrop for a lot of the action and character development. Um, The main characters are on a very personal, very emotional journey, um, with the first book focusing mostly on a kind of self-discovery. It's about making mistakes and how we as humans try to live with those mistakes. And it's about friendship. Yeah. Um, the landscapes of the books are kind of the standard medieval European-inspired fantasy fair, mm-hmm. but there were certain parts of the world I really enjoyed creating, um, some very unique areas. Okay. The Wyvern's Way is a particular favourite. Um, it's a long stairway that climbs up a massive set of cliffs on the western coast of Reynas, which is the kingdom where the story takes place. Okay. And writing the journey of the main characters up those stairs was very fun. Um, and at the end of the series, uh, each major location in the books is quite important. Okay. Well... I get a real sense of landscape and I, I it's, you said medieval. I, I got that sense. Okay. Um, now, now it, correct me if I'm not pronouncing this correct, right? Is it Raziel? Uh, I pronounce it Raziel. Raziel. Okay. So Raziel your protagonist. Um, God, he is torn. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like literally people. Okay. Um, yeah. Like he, oh my God. He is definitely fighting like an, an, an inner demon. Um, so can you give our listeners a hint of Raziel like his his conflict and 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 what he is going through in this first book (laughs) yeah so raziel is an absolute mess um i'll be honest he's a kid with serious anger issues stemming from losing his family at a very young age unfortunately his only companion at the start of the story is a sentient blade a talking sword and the sword is infused with a literal demon. Talk about bad peer pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
ultimately what Raziel really needs is a good hug, but the sword <laughs> won't give him that. <laughs> so instead he, he kind of descends into violence. That's where he finds his comfort. Yeah. Um, it is a tragedy, but yeah. thankfully I'm not completely heartless as a writer and there is some good in his life. Yeah. Um, that's essentially the point of book one, that mm-hmm. journey from darkness to light. Yeah. And books two and three are kind of a redemption arc. Okay, okay. Yeah, oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's times when I'm reading it, I'm thinking, put down the sword. (laughs) Too much. I mean, he's a 14 year old kid um, who's just got too much to handle, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you refer to Raziel and the other characters as war children. And that really struck me. Um, just even thinking about our current times, um, you know, thinking about what we're witnessing in the Ukraine. And like I said, it really struck me. And it, it made me think about the impact war has on children. Like we just, not just adults, but the children. So can you talk to me about the war children and end? Was it your goal or intention to increase that awareness of the impacts of war? So, yeah, that's an absolutely um, brilliant question. Um, I chose the term war children for precisely that reason. In the area of steel, people who suffer immense trauma may have great powers awakened within them. Um, These powers are immensely emotional and form as a response to the trauma. For Alicia, um, one of the protagonists of the first book, this process happened when she was quite a young girl, while for other characters, it happens at different times. So war brings about so much trauma. So using the word war came naturally. The term children was chosen to indicate that these people were in many ways innocent and perhaps the heightened emotions they feel with their magical powers are reflections of that innocence. Um, To tie it all together, there's a particularly insightful phrase which was used in the marketing for the classic movie Platoon. Mm -hmm. It's a film about the horrors of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. That phrase is the following. The first casualty of war is innocence. Mm And that line has stuck with me through the years. And the truth of it is so evident in the aftermath and trauma of war. The children living through the current war or crisis in the Ukraine must be suffering tremendously, more than most of us ever will. Mm -hmm. I I think of that suffering a lot. I think about it pretty much every day. And it's a very humbling reminder of how lucky many of us are. So when I created the term war children, it really was to capture that and to hopefully help people think about that in the future. Yeah, it it did. did. You've definitely, you've done that for sure. Razio, we've been mentioning about this evil sword. Now this evil sword causes him to do awful things, Um, you know, murder, wiping out (laughs) soldiers, 
the battle <laughs> the battle scenes okay Stephen right so yeah but I I get like just going on what you were saying there is so much more meaning to the sword would you say absolutely so? yeah yes yes okay. okay so from a physical perspective the sword is infused with a demon yeah um on the surface level that is that that's basically it um but i was very careful to show that it does not control raziel completely yeah. raziel's willpower is still present right. uh he chooses to fight to kill and while the sword might encourage or even hurt him when he hesitates that final decision is his and his alone this comes back to my point about the book being about mistakes, about choices and our fragile humanity. The sword represents the worst of us, the worst of me, the temptations we face, and how we as humans have the ability to convince ourselves sometimes to make some really, really dumb decisions. That's why later on in the first book, uh, Raziel says he will always carry the sword as a penance, a reminder of his mistakes and what happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. And then what he has is Alicia. Oh, she is <laughs> super cool. Okay. Um, you know, and in her point of view, just you you write about the music of emotions like i mean i really like that and how she takes people's emotions from them which i is so cool so mm. can you you talk to us a little bit more about alicia yeah absolutely i'm happy that you enjoyed the uh, magic system uh, yeah. that's something my readers really love Alicia is very complex. She's the only war child in book one. And we find out later that she is far more than that. I consider her the second protagonist of the trilogy. Yeah. Um, she's so incredibly influential for Raziel. Yeah. And their relationship is almost dichotomous in terms of personalities, meaning they're practically opposites. Where she's calm and cool-headed, Raziel is a hot-tempered, ego-driven maniac, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she observes things, thinks about them almost clinically, while Raziel stews over events with his ego at the fore. Yeah. Um, I would say they learn to rely on one another. However, that simultaneous growth throughout a canticle of two souls yeah. is really my favorite part of the book yeah. well that and all the fighting of course <laughs> um, <laughs> well there is like i'm thinking of the there's this one battle scene where she just basically she just she kind of like takes over you know like she just yeah she's yeah. just like enough right <laughs> <laughs> and how she does it it's she's she's really cool I've, I've i've been really enjoying reading about her so what was your inspiration like i'm thinking like what was your inspiration for a canticle of two souls i mean 
was this, yeah, like, did you, did you know you had a series in you or how, just how did this all start? It's going to sound a little ridiculous, but bear with me. Um, So I began writing the story 17 years ago. Yeah. um, Before I had even reached the age of 16. Oh, wow. Uh, The original story was terrible, I'll be honest. It was full of cliches with a boring main character and no real plot. Yeah. Um, Just lots of action. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The real writing began in 2013. And it was one of the most difficult tasks I've ever taken up. Writing is tough. Yeah. I distinctly remember deleting the first few chapters out of frustration, determined never to become a writer. (laughs) And now almost 10 years later, I've written and published three novels with three more books on the way. Excellent. So it's funny how you learn from from your past. So coming back to your question, Did I know it would be a series? Honestly, no. The ending to book one was meant to be a kind of cathartic moment, a kind of, oh, he's learned from his mistakes and hopefully the rest of his life improves. Yeah. Uh, But that ending, and I won't spoil it here, but that ending was too open. Okay. And I needed to know what happened next. Yeah. And I believe the readers also felt that need. Yeah. So book began. And I quickly realized that this was going to be a trilogy after that. Cool. Cool. So well, I was going to say, don't, don't feel bad that you wrote it 17 years ago because uh, <laughs> my first book I wrote, okay, I'm, I'm aging myself here, Stephen. I wrote it <laughs> um, 1999, year 2000. Ah, yes. And I had tried to sell it then with no luck. Mm-hmm. And then just, Stuff happened, Stephen, and I, I ended up putting it aside. And then I picked it up about in 2018. Okay. And uh, again, it's what blew me away was seeing how in my writing, how the world had changed, you know, and yeah, yeah. And just like cell phones, that was the big one, like how much cell phones had become a part of you know a people's lives and using so true right yeah and and using that so okay like I said when I'm reading it I really get a sense of the landscape um I think the map is really neat and I was wondering about you know what what research was involved in in writing this novel I'm I'm really glad you like the map Uh, I'm not a cartographer (laughs) and it was a lot of work I must say I'm pretty happy with the end result. Yeah. Uh, Most of my research was about small everyday things, swords and how they're made, things like how leather was cured back in the day, how water skins are made, etc. Okay. I would say more time was spent with inspirational media, particularly fantasy and sci-fi books, movies, and video games. Okay. Okay. Now, you were also a fantasy landscape artist. Yes. And uh, this, this, really, this really connects with me. Um, I like to think, I once wrote an article and I called it the yin and yang of creativity because I also create art. 
Um, and don't I don't ride a motorcycle. Okay, <laughs> but there's something <laughs> there's something about illustrating a motorcycle that I really enjoy. Um, yeah, it's it's more than see it's it started with when I was a personal trainer, and I'm making mm-hmm. sure I don't get off on a tangent here. But I illustrated <laughs> another personal trainer standing by her bike, and it just it looked so empowering, and it looked to me it symbolized. Um, freedom like just being able to jump on your bike and go yeah yeah I see that yeah so what ended up happening for me was when I started rewriting like I did like you I rewriting that first book I remember just thinking about my character and I thought why doesn't she ride a bike you know and I just thought Mm. why doesn't she ride a bike you illustrate bikes you know like to me it seemed like a no bringer, right? She's, she's going to ride, yeah, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> and uh, so that's why I think of it as yin and yang, because then sometimes now when I do an illustration, you know, I'm thinking about the story behind the illustration. So mm. for you, did one talent come first meaning like did did you like you said you wrote this when you were a teenager did you also create art at that same time I would say yes Um, so currently I have a bachelor's in graphic design as well as my law degree great so my art was has always been very important to me particularly as a teenager and a young adult yeah. I'm sure my high school friends could tell you some stories about the cartoons and dragons and what else that I drew during class, you know, <laughs> instead of paying attention to the teacher. Yeah. Um, but the English language has always held equal fascination yeah. as evidenced by my high school grades in those subjects. Yeah. Uh, if I had to choose, I would say that the term visual storytelling is where my, my strength lies. So movies and video games have been always a big part of my life. Um, And video games these days are practically becoming, uh, being made at the same level as movies. Yeah. And I think that visual spectacle is what I try to capture in my writing. I want my readers to use their imaginations to the fullest to see all the castles and towering cliffs in my books, the great... uh, you know, sweeping fields and vistas, narrow gullies and the brooding forests. Yeah. Uh, characters deserve a good backdrop. And I believe that's where my artistic background shines. Okay. Okay. So um, I've been on your Instagram feed. Have you thought of, see, because I have on my Kindle, your book, and that's where I'm reading it. Have you yeah. thought of, putting more of your illustrations in the book or do you work with another artist i'm just looking like i'm looking at the cover right now of a canticle of two souls yeah yeah so the cover of a canticle of two souls in fact the entire trilogy um all the covers were made by an artist called rafelia it's uh r-e-f-f-e-l-i-a yeah and she is uh, Portuguese and an absolutely incredible artist. Yeah. Um, 
I could share some of the sketches that I sent to her asking for the cover design, but they really are terrible, um, I'll be honest. And what she did with those sketches and what she turned them into is absolutely phenomenal. Um, She's an absolutely incredible artist, and she's actually doing some of the sketches in my second book, um, my second book series as well. Yeah. but yes, I am doing some art for the next book. Um, I'm doing the covers on my own, yeah. which is a huge challenge um, because it's been quite a while since I actually did any art. Uh, I'm a, a digital artist, so I work in Photoshop and Illustrator. Yeah. And yeah, it's good to come back to those tools and find that nothing's changed. Yeah. Okay. Do you plot your novels? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm very much an outliner. Okay. So there are two types of uh, writers, people say. There's outliners and there's pantsers, people yeah. that write by the seat of their pants. Yeah. And I would say I'm very much an outliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I highly recommend that all novice writers try outlining. Yeah. It saves so much time. And headache. Because you can kind of, <laughs> you can catch those plot holes in those areas before they become a 50,000 word, you know, part of the book. Yeah. Um, which you need to then rewrite. Yeah. Um, but I mean, some people really find that they work best out in the outline. Like Stephen King, I know he doesn't outline his books at all. Really? Um, okay. I didn't and, know that. So more more power to them. I, I can't do it, but if you if it works for you, then go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I find uh I know the beginning. <laughs> Sounds so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I'm not a huge plotter? Um, no, I no, know, that's fine though. Yeah, you know, I know the direction I want to go, mm. right? And I guess I do. I I write by the seat of my pants, and <laughs> you know, if if a scene, see, I look at it as if scene comes to me, I write it, I get it down, okay? Yeah. And then I will go from there as to what next scene comes to me. Um, mm. But then having said that, I was, I belonged to Sisters in Crime and we had a, had a a virtual kind of meeting and we were talking about writing. And I said, there are times when just with the book I'm working on now, where I'm, I'm in this chapter and I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into, you know? And it's (laughs) like, I just keep telling myself, trust the process just, and I also, I believe in, really believe in just trust the process, trust mm-hmm. the characters, right? Like just yeah. don't like, don't fight the characters. Do you find that sometimes? I do find that um, sometimes I think it was uh, the emperor in the first book. Yeah. Um, I find that a lot of the more exciting parts of his story were actually completely out of the blue. He He just took the story on his own terms and started, writing his own uh tale there and yeah it does happen sometimes and when it does and it works it's a really happy accident um yeah yeah well because like with (laughs) this third book i have this new character who i had planned to kill off right (laughs) and uh he's still alive and kicking and um yeah yeah it's he's become a really cool character and uh 
you know, I have this line, which, you know, it, it stems from working at the prosecutor's office. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where an, another best friend of mine, we, we knew this prosecutor, he's a great guy. He was from Manitoba and we mm-hmm. both agreed that he's a great guy. We really enjoy working with him. You know, you, you can go for a, like a, at, during then you could go to the, like your local pub after work, have a yeah. drink with him. But we also both agreed that we would never introduce him to any of our girlfriends. <laughs> so that's what this character is kind of turning out to be. And that's been fun, right? That discovery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds very natural and very much like a how a genuine, real human being would be. And mm-hmm. if you can capture that in your books, that's a, a huge bonus. Yeah. So, okay. So thinking of your characters, <clears throat> Raziel and Elisha. And right away, right away, we learned that they both have their internal conflicts. Okay. And what I found neat was that their internal conflicts, literally, like I was thinking, it's like you have a horse, their internal conflict rides on one, (laughs) the external conflict rides on the other, you know, and they're so intertwined, which is really neat. Mm. And um, I was wondering when you know you say you're an outliner. When you were right, when you write, do you find that the like this one conflict come first before the other? Um, like I'm just thinking mm-hmm. there's this this battle scene where 30 soldiers are killed. You know, um, did that come to you first, and then the internal conflict you wove that in, or was it just so tightly woven in as you're writing? I would say, I mean, they kind of both happen at the same time, especially in the first draft. Um, And edits and revision bring out all those details really like. Um, But I would say the internal conflict does come first. Yeah. Every every point of action in my books serves a purpose, and I think that's a lesson I learned very quickly. Um, the characters have to kind of learn something or change in some way during or after the fight. So in that specific fight you mentioned, uh, 30 soldiers, Mm -hmm. uh, we see Alicia's reaction to Raziel's violence and she reacts by using her powers. Mm -hmm. And what we expect here is that she'll either use those powers to join him or to stop him. Yeah. But in situation she uses uses her powers to diffuse the situation and that tells us something about her it also tells raziel something about her about what he can expect in the future if the same scenario arises Mm -hmm. and so in that battle apart from the fight and apart from all the magic being thrown around they both learn from each other and adapt their behavior okay so who who did you read growing up? Like who were your writing influences? Oh, I read so much. I've been reading since as long as I can remember, honestly. Um, as a young child, I would say The Wizard of Oz, um, stories like Narnia, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, all of the, the classic children's books, yeah. and The Hobbit, of course. Absolutely, yeah. The Hobbit by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Um, a huge influence on book one was the manga Berserk, which is a Japanese comic series. Oh, really? um, and the mood and tone of those books are incredibly serious. Okay. 
Okay. And I took that atmosphere, that kind of taking your story seriously, and I ran with that. Yeah. And other inspirations are the authors Tolkien, uh, Sanderson, as well as video games like Dark Dragon's Dogma and Castlevania. Another very important influence on my work is music. Okay. I usually have something playing yeah. as I write, yeah. um, with the music often kind of reflecting the mood of the scene. Okay. So okay. there's a Japanese movie studio studio called uh, Studio Ghibli or Studio Ghibli. Yeah. And their quiet piano pieces are so beautiful and perfect. Um, and they're quite they're good for the quiet, intimate scenes. Okay. Whereas on the other hand, I also listen to a lot of melodic uh, death metal. <laughs> so okay. um, that really comes through in the action scenes. Yeah. But I will admit I have written a few quiet scenes or a few intimate scenes between characters with death metal in the background. So it doesn't work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I also listen to music when I'm writing and it's... Um... It's jazz, okay? It's mm-hmm. just, it's called Coffee House Jazz and it's some piano. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, but I, I do, I love piano music. And then like with my second book, because there were scenes that took place in the 60s, I mm-hmm. was, I had such, I thought it was a great 60s playlist. That was, that yeah, was yeah. right, yeah. Okay. So, okay. You've been hinting at more books. So what is, what's next for you and and what are you writing now? Uh, So my next project is absolutely huge. Um, It's called Scars of Magic and it follows a black woman with an arm that's kind of shriveled or disabled by magic. And set in a very unique uh, kind of post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. and because it's about disabilities, writing about disabilities is quite a difficult task since I'm trying to show how it can affect someone's psyche mm-hmm. while also telling the story about personal growth and self-acceptance. Yeah. I believe I'm doing it well and I know the story is good. Yeah. So I'm hoping for a release of the first book uh, next year. And um, yeah. as for my social media and all of that, Mm-hmm. My main website is uh, www.stephenraymakers.com. Okay. Or people can just find my page on Facebook if they uh, Google my name. I'm also very active on Goodreads. Okay. Love reviewing books on there. So, um, And I think there's an option for people to ask authors questions on Goodreads. So if anyone has a question, they can come by and ask that. That's good. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm I'm very interested in Scars of Magic. Um, beta readers, are you? Do you send? Are you sending that book out to beta readers? Well, I'm, I'm, can I'm you hoping, tell? I'm very um, curious. Yeah. No, I'm hoping to find um, some beta readers for that. It is a very dark, gritty kind of dark fantasy um, with, you know, some. I would say like Aria of Steel is quite uh, PG rated. Yeah. Whereas. Um, Scars of Magic is very much an R project, R-rated project for adults. Okay. But I don't ever go into, you know, the gory details or anything like that. Yeah. So it's just got very serious themes, I believe. 
So I will be looking for beta readers. I'll also be looking for uh, sensitivity readers for the disabled um, part because the worst thing I could do is absolutely insult everyone with a disability, and that's far from what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a smart move. Yeah, I understand. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Stephen, I hope you come back on the podcast because with your next book, because uh, this has been really interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Joanna. Thanks for setting this up. And uh, thanks for all the interesting conversation as well. Oh, good. So people, you know where you can find my podcast and you have been, like I say, I check my analytics and uh, I see that people are tuning in from the website and I have to give an apology. I had only, now I know New Zealand is separate island and is totally separate country from Australia. I said, <laughs> oh, I said only two areas of Australia tune in. Well, I was wrong. All of Australia is tuning in. So I'm hoping all of New Zealand tunes in too. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I do like your prime minister, Stephen. I really do. Ah, yes. Yeah. She's quite uh, internationally well known now. But... Well, Stephen, have a good day and thank you so much for stopping by. Great. Thanks, Joanna. You have a great night. Okay, you too.